0: Pastor Potluck, I'm Cord Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. With us today is Todd Donatelli. Todd Donatelli.
1: He works at the church across the street from me, which is Saint Andrew's Episcopal Church, and you are an interim, correct?
0: Interim, yes. I have to ask though, okay, so is it Saint Andrew's or is it Saint Andrew Episcopal?
2: Andrews, apostrophe Okay,
0: because I went to a school called St. Olaf, and everyone would call it St. Olaf's, and I was like, ugh! So I just want to make sure we were getting no, this right. No, thank you for that
2: clarity. That's important. Yeah. Okay. No, like it is St. It is Andrews.
0: St. Andrews. And you're yeah. the interim rector. What does that right.
2: mean? Interim means that the priest who had been there for Tim McCreed 25 years has retired. has also been on the show. Who's also been on the show, yeah. a wonderful priest, retired about two years ago. And while a church is searching for a new priest, they have someone... Um, come in and just be there for the year and a half or so ever it, it takes them to find a new priest. So,
1: But Todd is much more than a gap filler. Like in Baptist life, if you're an interim, it's expected generally that you just show up and preach. Show up on Sundays. And, and then, then sometimes then. an interim will say, well, I kind of like it here and I want to be the new guy person. But you're not supposed to do that. Like yeah. That's not the role of an interim. Right. You're supposed to guide them to the next point. Uh, but, but Todd does so much more. That, and there's a pretty well-defined system in place in the yeah. Episcopal Church for interim work, correct?
2: There is, there is. I mean, they, they, you know, they, they want you to do just what you said, I mean, keep things moving. Um, and then, you know, I'm three-quarters time, so I'm there Monday through Wednesday and then on Sunday mornings. And, and I, well, then there's some things they define. I mean, it, I don't know how to say this other than just when you're a minister, you're a minister, and and, and I, sp- you know, and they would say, well, you're doing more than preaching, and I'm like, well, you got me three quarter time. I mean, yeah. it's it's you got a three quarter priest. It's but, not like three quarter preacher. So, but when
1: you're going into an interim situation, yeah, which you were a year yeah. or so ago, I'm certain there is no way you could have figured out what you were getting into, with being asked to do community things, and then bang, the flood happens.
2: Well, two things quick on that. I, no, I mean, you, you, you kind of, you don't know the community, so you, you get into it and then you kind of learn. And, and of course, during the pandemic, a lot of things that lots of our churches, particularly St. Andrew's, which loves, their soul is so fed by their fellowship dinners and things then feeds their community work. You know? and, 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 and to not have that was really hard because you had a sense of who these people were, but you, you didn't get to be in their life with them. But I also remember um, at the same time, it was maybe some days after I was waiting to meet Brandon um, from Morningside, and you... Brandon had, Lazarus, Brandon is, Brandon will Lazarus. not
0: come on the show. Well, oh, he's been on one time, <laughs> right after the flood. Oh, yeah. We did it on location. On location interview oh, wow. with him. That's right. Okay. So I'm,
2: Yeah, so I'm across the street waiting for Brandon. We were going to go you know, around to some of the supply places and all, and and you walked up before Brandon got there, and you said, you didn't bank on this flood. And I said, yeah, but I'm an interim. You guys are here. Yeah. I'm so in the one hand, yeah, I, I, yes, yes. No, no one know. You know, you don't know what's gonna come, and you you roll with it. And 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 I gotta say, I, St. Andrews is a great community. They they really have tight bonds. They they love each other. They love Haywood County. They love Canton, and so they've they've been just great. And anything I've offered them, they've just uh, they just have such a great life.
0: I know I've appreciated uh, your leadership there and your your church's support during the flood I, I'll, I'll never forget you know we had our homecoming planned which is supposed to be basically the week right after the flood uh, over at Long's not a church that was physically affected by the flood but certainly we were all um, dealing with friends and family who were affected and you offered to have your church cook for our homecoming you know it was something that we were just thinking about canceling because we just didn't have the mental capacity and you said well we're a little bit further removed we would love to help with this, and that was a, that was a real meaningful thing.
2: Yeah, so. no, that's what I love about them. They were, uh, when we had the sense of what you all were wrestling with about do, do we do this, do we not, and you you're saying, our people feel like we need to be together, but this is a lot with all that's demanded out at everybody in, in the flood, and, and when we kicked that around and, and ran it by our folks, they were just like, well, heck yes. You know, yeah, so now.
1: So. All right, so I have gone past where we were supposed to start, so Peter, ask the question. <laughs>
0: Well, I want to say that, uh, you know, when we welcome folks on the show, we like to just hear a little bit about their background before we get into it. Because I think that, you know, as preachers, we bring our own personal experience into this. And so colors the experience. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, so, Todd, we haven't had you on the show yet. And I wonder if you would uh, tell us what's the name of the street you grew up on?
2: I grew up on Scott Road in Northbrook, Illinois.
0: And what was it like growing up on Scott Road? Scott
2: Road was, this is post-World War II. Um, my dad was in World War II. My oldest brother was born, what, in 48? I was born in 56. And this was a classic suburban Chicago, you know, post-World War II neighborhoods being developed. Um, you know, our neighborhood was built in the in the 50s when all that kind of, Suburban expansion is taking, I mean, Northbrook had existed, but certainly it's that. So you, you've got this kind of post, uh, everything you've heard about uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, but, you know, post-World War II, kids all over the street, because there's all these young families who are buying their first houses, and, you know, in those days we just rode our bikes all day, and, you know, your parents would see you at breakfast, and you'd come home for dinner, mm-hmm. you know, and literally. And and there was still a lot of woods around. So was a Lasky like,
1: kid pioneer? We no, the even, opposite. The opposite, because yeah. our
2: doors were never locked. Okay, you know, gotcha. <laughs> so it's like you'd get out like on a Saturday and yeah, you just get on your bike and, and who knew what the day was going to behold. And your parents just they didn't worry about you. They figured you'd come home whenever you're hungry kind of thing. And so lots of kids, lots of adventures. There were woods on one end of our neighborhood that we, you know, you just had adventures in. And then they. Uh, the development finally about the mid 60s caught up with that and and I won't even go into that I could tell you a lot of funny stories of like they're taking our woods yeah. <laughs> and, of and, course. and and I won't even talk about eco-terrorism but we'll talk about that later
0: wow we'll <laughs> definitely have you back on the show for uh, as interview a child on, as a child I'm didn't even, we didn't
2: even know what eco-terrorism was but we did not like them building on our 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 woods anyway yeah.
0: Uh, I forgot that you were. Uh, you continue to be a, an avid cyclist. Is that yeah, right?
2: yeah, continue to be. Okay, yeah.
0: we we haven't gone for a ride yet. No, maybe someday.
1: someday. Mom, Dad, also born in '56, he's out here riding his bike every
0: day. So you know, <laughs> that's right.
2: That's right. It can be done. It can be done. Yeah. It can
0: be done. Um, Todd, <clears throat> do you? Uh, could you paint us a picture? I guess um, just briefly about how you came to the ministry and, and yeah. how that started for you.
2: You know, I, I, I grew up, um, again, and it was a time when, when people, quote, went to church a lot. I mean, most of people in our town went to church. There was, being an Episcopalian, we were not the majority of, you know, there was mostly Presbyterians and a lot of Catholics, and they'd look at us like, what are you, you know, but, but that was very central in our family life um, and the rhythms of the year and the liturgical year. And the Episcopal Church on the, in the northern part of the country tends to be what we call higher church, if you think of more like Catholic kind of, where the liturgy has lots of symbols and incense and things like that. So as a kid, I was marinated in the liturgical year and marinated in, in all that imagery, sensorily, and, and had this sense, I've always had the sense of God just being this massive, uh, you know, beyond our description, the mystery of God, I mean, when you, when you grow up as a kid with incense, you're getting the message that this mm. is, you know, there was that book written a long time ago, The Elusive Presence, about you know, God's here, but God's just this mystery. Um, And, and uh, moved to the South for my last year of high school. Um, that's a, about my dad in business and things like that. And, and I remember people saying, be careful. If you're going to the Bible Belt, they're going to get you. And to make a long story short, that last year and, and into my first year of college, I, I came into some folks who were part of kind of the vestiges of the Jesus movement of the 60s and got the personal side of God, of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, yeah, I get the mystery and now there's also this personal side of God who and and I would say a lot of my ministry has been how is that all true mm. how is God as personal as as you guys sitting right here in the flesh of each of you and a mystery we can never finally name mm-hmm. um and so you know it was it was in college when I was I was a journalism major and I thought I'd like write for magazines but the more I'd explored it, and I had a couple of good ministers, one who was a Baptist minister in Athens, Georgia, where I was going to college, and then my priest in, in Atlanta, who were just really helpful in exploring things, and, and both both could handle either side of that equation. I, I was so fortunate that, that they all they were just like... In fact, quick story, I remember going to the Baptist priest... Sorry. Baptist we're we're minister, not priests. Baptist no. minister. Forgive me. Um, and saying, you know, I, I want to join the church. And he said, no, you don't. And, uh, and I said, well, what do you mean? He said, look, hang around here. He said, if, if you want to join, then I have to have you baptized as part of our polity. And, and I, I respect your infant baptism. And, and that's really not what you want. You don't want. And, and it was like he wasn't apologizing for who he was as a Baptist, but I appreciated that kind of, he was just like, no,
1: just hang around here. Yeah, you know, I've had that Georgia. conversation with some. Yeah. Not at this church, but at Yeah, and churches.
2: and again my Episcopal priest wasn't freaked out about me talking about Jesus, you know. So it, I was very fortunate. And I think that Hunger grew in college and then like a lot of us, you know, did youth led youth groups and things like that and thought, oh, maybe this would be a cool vocation. So that's kind of So
1: I have two things. Number one, I assume Georgia, but just for clarification, where do you move to into the in the Atlanta. South move Atlanta, to Atlanta?
2: Yeah, and then went to college in Athens. So. UGA? UGA. Go, dogs. Go dog Go Dogs, him.
1: Second thing. <laughs> Don't even start. <laughs> he's, he's got a tie-in. He's got two tie-ins, really. Yeah. With two weeks ago, Mr. Green, who is not me, the other Reverend Green, uh, coming from Illinois and around the same time and getting caught up in the Jesus movement. Mm-hmm. So we, we talked about
0: those things on our show with him. So. And also yeah. moving to the South. We need to get the two of you to, to <laughs> talk to each other about that. Yeah. That would be cool. Well, I think we're going to uh, find out that some of this uh, background is really helpful in, in understanding kind of where you go with our uh, scripture for today. Court, what are we what are we looking at today? We're looking at Mark fifteen. This is part of our Lenten lunch series, in which we ask pastors from the Canton area to take a uh, a very brief uh, verse or set of verses, whatever it might be, and and preach to us a message um, as we walk with Jesus on his journey to the cross. This year, the theme is the seven last words, and uh, Father Todd was asked to preach on, well, I'll just let uh, one of the two of you go ahead with those words. (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll read it, and we have elected,
1: I usually read from NRSV, but this time I'll be reading from the CEB. Contemporary English Bible? The Common English Bible. Common English Bible. Bible. And as you can tell from what I just said, I'm not that familiar with it, but I've, I've, when Peter reads, it's usually from that, so I like it, but I just don't have one. But I pulled one up, and so we'll begin reading Mark 15, 22 through 34. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means skull place. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. They crucified him. They divided up his clothes, drawing lots for them to determine who would take what. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The notice of the formal charge against him was written, the king of the Jews. They crucified two outlaws with him, one on his right and one on his left. People walking by insulted him, shaking their heads and saying, ha, So you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, were you? Save yourself and come down from that cross. In the same way, the chief priests were making fun of him among themselves, together with the legal experts. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of of Israel, come down from the cross. Then we will see and believe. Even those who had been crucified with Jesus insulted him. From noon until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. At three, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you left me? Thus ends the reading.
0: Uh, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. How would you say it, Todd?
2: Oh, you had to I would have said something like Eloi Eloi Lama Sabakhtani.
0: Well none of us know if it's yeah. right. And even the best Greek scholars would have to admit that they that we really don't know but I did Google well, it and, and
2: all the different ones I looked on Google were saying it differently. I thought well I'm I'm okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's start off just uh, by talking about the choice of translations. Um you decided, and I don't think CEB is your typical translation either, Todd, but tell us what, what this meant to you and how helpful it was.
2: No, but, you know, um, people, you're, those who are listening, know that there's this Wednesday group of clergy that get together each week to look at the lectionary, and Peter and some of the others, Joselyn, uh, often read from the CEB and appreciate how it, as you defined it, it works to be very true to the language while putting it in language we're, we're familiar with. So um, as I was looking for this and, and, you know, being asked to talk about those words, why have you forsaken me, I looked at the CEB, and when it said, why have you left me, I thought, ooh, I, kn- I know that. Forsaken, as I've joked in the sermon, said, that's my grandparents' word. But this, I know what it means to be left. And when I look at the translation and the, the original language, as, as you all said, it really does mean depart from, you mm. know, leave behind. And so for Jesus to say, why have you left me? It felt very poignant, and that's why the CEB, I thought, I want, to, I want to read that.
0: Left, departed from, abandoned, forsaken. These are, well, certainly one of, or more of these words will really um, uh, hit close to home for many of us. I mean, so many people have experienced um, some kind of abandonment or betrayal, or at least struggle with those kind of feelings. I wonder how many of us are comfortable attributing that word to God, though.
1: I mean, some of, I think people's comfort kind of stops, even if it goes this far, with, I feel God is distant. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But to, to go beyond that, to God has left, pulled away from, or even abandoned almost an intentional shunning, I, I don't think many people are comfortable. But that doesn't mean we don't feel it. Yeah.
2: Exactly. No, that's why the left really stuck for me because forsaken has kind of a but but left has a physical tangible and and as you say we 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 feel it when we're brave enough to admit it.
0: Yeah. I'm going to jump forward a little bit because I feel like this is where the conversation's headed. We're going to we'll move back and talk about different the different gospels and maybe what what we can value from each of one or maybe you want to incorporate that. But um, it seems to me that you know one of the things that you said in your sermon is that Jesus experienced Betrayal, abuse, doubt, and wrestling with God, and and as I heard you describe your faith story, I I heard the this this balancing that you had to do or or reckoning I don't know between this mysterious presence of God that's that's very almost inhuman uh, can't couldn't possibly be human because because God is so expansive as to How could you fit that in in a human? This real human personal relationship that we can have with a God who sometimes feels that expansive, yeah. And tell me, tell me, like you know, what that was like for you and how you brought that together for this sermon. You know, I mean,
2: one thing that just came to my mind is Paul's thing. You know, who can comprehend the height and depth and breadth of God? That that expansive, mysterious. Reality, there's God who, 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 you know, yeah. I want to have that sense that, that God is is not just something finite that I can put on my table or, you know. And as you say, then then there's the tangible, personal Jesus. And I don't know, Peter, that I have an answer other than, um, I mean, as I kind of joked, we say God's fully divine and fully human, and, and we say yes because it's, as you said, it's kind of you're bouncing back and forth. I mean, sometimes in the presence of other people in a, in a liturgy walking in these mountains you mean you have a sense that i'm just saturated in god right now and then you have some of these really painful experiences of life where you just kind of feel like it, again it's it's just it's more of a body thing of just feeling absent and empty and like well there's nothing here and if i shouted i'm not sure anyone would hear and i don't i don't know how to do it other than describe it and and um, to what i don't know what to really to compare it with and it's I guess I've lived long enough not to give up on it, <laughs> not to give up on. Uh.
1: This is the first time that I've been in a conversation wherein the topic of suffering and pain leads us to the topic of Christology. Mm-hmm. It's never mm-hmm. happened in my life before. Mm-hmm. So uh, how, how we get from Jesus suffering and potentially feels abandoned, maybe. I'm sure we'll continue talking about that to how human or how God is Jesus? We probably should consider more often.
0: Yeah, well, and I think Todd in his sermon challenged us, and I want to ask you about this to, yeah. to really wrestle with some of the implications of a Jesus who is fully human. And Which is uh, right up my alley. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, yeah. well, no. Yeah, again, yeah. I mean, it, what's that phrase? Uh, Maybe still teaching in seminaries. Um, I'm joking. I'm a little older than these guys. Um, you know what what he didn't what
0: well, Christ did not assume. assume he, didn't he did redeem. not redeem. Yeah that's I think Athanasius. I think maybe, that's, that
2: sounds good. I'll trust you on that. One. okay but it, yeah but it's, it's one of those yeah kind of chunky phrases. Well, what that does that mean? Yeah,
0: it, to me, what it means is that
2: if, if there's any place that Jesus took a shortcut, any place that Jesus didn't have to feel as deeply as we did, then, then he really isn't who we think he is. Yeah, He really hasn't redeemed our lives.
1: I'm glad that you mentioned shortcuts, because otherwise I was going to have to, and and I don't want to be the one to bring that up, but I think if if our Christology gets too high, and we think too much about the godness of Christ, that is a shortcut, because if, if, if Christ did not, if Christ is just way up here, and I'm putting my hand over my head, dear listener, like... For instance John's Jesus usually is although John also gives us some of the most human moments of Jesus then what does that do for me you Mm. haven't lived my life that Jesus hasn't experienced humanity as we all must
0: what does it do for you in that moment where you're feeling the crushing weight of like being a frail fragile finite human what does it do for me to not have an understanding of God being right here with me. Yeah, it yeah. it yeah. it almost echoes
1: Jesus' statement on the cross. It makes you feel like, well, you don't know what this is like.
0: Mm.
1: You're not with me. I am abandoned. Mm. Yeah. And so I, I love Mark's Jesus. In fact, Mark's my favorite gospel. I've I've said that on this program before. But I love Mark's Jesus because his Jesus is the most is described the most humanly. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying there were four different Jesuses. Yeah. I'm sure the listener is smart enough to understand that. But he is one that struggles. He is one that doesn't always have the foreknowledge. He is one who you could honestly believe in the garden is not 100% sure that there's going to be a cross and Judas is going to kiss him, etc. And so this is a Jesus that is
0: down for the struggle. He, he knows what it's like to walk in our shoes. And, and Todd, that's a, the distinction between how Jesus is portrayed in the different gospels is something you actually brought up in your sermon. Yeah,
2: I you know I I, I will I confess I was googling I guess this phrase and it, and it popped up this phrase with Fred Craddock who the Methodists know from when he used to be the professor in Candler Seminary. I know him well. And he's yeah a, a, a great thinker, and his reminding us that there are different understandings of the cross with the different writers. And I don't know if you wanted to go into each of those, but, but you know, I mean, Paul... Well, it,
0: yeah, What what yeah. is it that stands out for you, and why is it important to why understand Why it's important
2: these? is because, I guess it's almost like why we have four Gospels. I yeah. mean, how could we can, you know, as John says at the end of the Gospel, if we wrote everything, the world wouldn't contain the books. How could we try to convey? And so um, to have the different perspectives is is helps us understand, the, again, the depth and breadth to some degree as much as we ever could. And so, I, yeah, I want the human Jesus because some days there's days where I need that person who just is, is agitated like I am, mm-hmm. you know, and wants to throw a damn table. Excuse my French. I, I've used French on this
0: lane. Throw, throw a
2: dog for... on table.
0: We well, use um, Greek on this. That's on right, this. Greek said <laughs>
2: French. And, and, you know, and, and to know that Jesus feels that, um, you know, I remember... Um, well, I, a spiritual conversationalist I had when I was living in another state and, and was talking about something the church had done to a, a fellow clergy person and, and had really done them in. And I was really struggling with it. And, and they said, go to your prayer chamber, which meant, you know, whether you're on your bike ride or your woods or wherever, at home, whatever, and ask Jesus what it was like. And, and he used the S word, but, you know, to get done in by the church. Mm. And it was really helpful because, again, it was one of those companion places of like, okay, yeah, you even know what it's like to get done in by your your institution. The people you came to save. The people you came to save. The people who fed you and mentored you and who taught you to believe and hope in this expansive understanding of God. And now they're like, boom, you know, uh-uh. But we're, we're doing you in.
0: Let me per- paraphrase something you said in your sermon about about the Jesus that we encounter in Mark's gospel. You said that, Mark's Gospel invites us to hear the real pain of Jesus mm. from the cross and grapple with Jesus, and I, I underlined, feeling God's absence.
2: You know, I, yeah, I appreciate it. I quoted one person who was saying that it's, it's not that Jesus suffered more, sometimes we want to make it, you know, or less. But, that yeah, to really sit with Jesus and, and, like, the women who are brave enough and just feel it and, and take time. I know you all are, are good at, about the places of our body and faith. And that it's important for us to feel what Jesus is feeling in our bodies. I'm sorry, I'm, like I'm holding my body, folks. You can't see that. But I'm Italian also, so I can't speak without hands. Um, but but to, to, to sit down and just be still enough to feel it. Because when we're feeling God's absence, we feel it in our bones. I mm-hmm. mean, it's not just a cognitive, I don't think God's here. It's like, my body is weak.
1: It's a, a feeling of hollowness.
0: Yeah. Almost. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned shortcuts and, 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 and how Jesus didn't opt out, taken or he's, he didn't take it out in life. And it seems to me and occurs to me as we're talking that that we often opt out of feeling mm-hmm. deeply with one another too. And you mentioned some of these things in your sermon when we say, I'll pray for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, or when we, you know, just just try to move around or somehow numb or or distance ourselves from the the real pain and tragedy that we all face um, or friends and family of ours face around us in this life Um, and I think you know for me personally this this sermon that you gave was helpful but it was also a real challenge because I have had moments in my life where I have really wanted to opt out I've really wanted I know, yeah. to find some distance yeah. and to not stay present to the pain. Sometimes it's too much to bear. And And I, I guess what what pastoral advice do you give to, to people in that situation?
2: You know, whether it's like personal pain you're going through, um, whether it's like I'm, I'm not trying to overwhelm myself with the news of Ukraine, but I've also had a sense in my prayer life, I need to watch these stories. Mm-hmm. I have to have, I need to be watching some of them and, mm-hmm. and not, and, and not also say well i don't i don't want to get overwhelmed whatever and and i need to again sit with it and feel it maybe a quick story um when our when my wife was pregnant with our first child there was a a test that came up that said she might have spina bifida and the tests this was back in the 80s they were not as refined as they are now and so there was a lot of unknown and we and it was about 10 days of, of really kind of utter hades hell whatever you want to say of thinking is this child going to even be born and if it's if, if, if we didn't know what the sex was, we were choosing not to know, if this child is born with some kind of spinal deformity or maybe nothing much at all. It, you know, there was all kinds of a range. And we were about seven days in, and we were in seminary at the time we were in our apartment in Alexandria, and-, and
1: Seven days into, into, the, the, into the first now Yeah, the okay. first test
2: that said your gotcha. child may have spina bifida, I'm sorry, seven days into this, and we'd gotten back a second test that still said, yeah, it seems like there's a great chance that your child has spina bifida. And we came home to our apartment, and literally we were sitting on the floor. We were so low, and I hit the answering machine in those days, the answering machine. And um, my mother was on the answering machine saying, I put your name on our home church, and the the prayer chain is praying for you.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And we just kind of, we just cried, but we felt enveloped at the Mm -hmm. same time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the pastoral advice is, when I'm facing this stuff, what we needed was people who were brave enough to sit with us in that space. And um, boy, this sounds so. What's sounds so simple, you know, the show up stuff. But just to keep, to the degree you can. I mean, I think you have to be careful and not just say, "I got to keep doing life." I, I remember when my dad died, and for like a week, my brain was just like scattered at work, and people said, "You're supposed to be scattered this week." Yeah. You know, what can we pick up for you? Why, why are you thinking you're supposed to give your job? You know, like, no, 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 we expect you just to be a puddle this week. You know, and it was like, yeah. okay, thank you. And, and so I, I think your original question is, you know, what pastoral advice when you're in that space? I think find, uh, find the people who, who, who are not afraid of that space.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's what I need because I'm, like I said, like you were saying, it's easy for me to try to get out of it. So I need to surround myself with people who are not afraid to get out of there. I need to work at my own discipline of what will help me stay present without just getting way overwhelmed at the same time. Um, I, you know, I, I know in, in my former church when there would be like some months of just multiple deaths and, and very Usually painful around Christmas. Stuff. Yeah, and then, you know, painful stuff going on in the world. And we would say like double down on your spiritual practices. If, if you're a walker in the woods, if you ride your bike, if you meditate, whatever you do, like. Now's the time to pick those up, because uh, that's, just, that's what's gonna help us stay present and, and, and not run. I could probably think of some others, but I think it's, it's community. What are the things that help me breathe and stay in touch with my body? Um, those, are, those are just some initial ones I'm thinking. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. For me, it was uh, my wife's cancer last year. And, uh, and I think looking back at, at that whole experience, uh, I am surprised and a little bit uh, upset with myself that I continued to work as much as I did. Like, I feel like that would have been a great opportunity for me to say, I need somebody to fill this pulpit for me for the next three months, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and and my congregation would have totally understood that. Right. And I still kept going. And, and and so I'm hearing this loud and clear. I think louder and clearer now than in the moment. Sure. Because I actually do remember... you. Uh, you know this this lectionary group is is a is a is a small group for me in in every sense that a small group can be for for people in the church that so with it's 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 both w- way, a way that we prepare for preaching on sunday but it's also a, a spiritual community yeah. and and uh, i remember you giving me this advice todd which you used again in your sermon stay present to the pain and um And, you know, I think at the time I was like, well, I can't, you know, (laughs) but now looking back, I see, I, I didn't want to, and I was actually, um, occupying my time with so much other stuff so that I didn't have to. And I think I'm hearing new advice in, in this, in this phrase that you use, stay present to the pain, which is. What are the things that make it easy for us to not look at what we're going through? Can we do less of those things?
2: Mm. Uh, I mean, I hear you on the stay busy stuff. Yeah, right. Like, and, and, and especially if you're a minister, it's a real, I'm doing God's work, so I'll just stay busy yep. with God's work. Yep. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Been there. I know that one. Yeah.
1: Well, it's not always that. Sometimes when we're going through these painful moments, we just crave something normal. Yeah. 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 And if work is normal... Mm-hmm. Then it can be therapeutic. It's not always an escape. But if we get to the point where we are not experiencing our own true lives, then it can be toxic. So there's a balancing act there. Well, yeah, and I
2: remember working with a group of folks that we had this kind of understanding, particularly if we were in some painful part, of like, if you see me acting a little weird, you have permission to tell me. Like if you see me like showing up at the office, you know, twenty hours a day or whatever, some you know, to exaggerate. Yeah, I've given you permission when that moment comes to say, "What you doing?" You know, and it was great to have a community where we trust each other enough to say that. Because yeah, in the moment, and I mean, and and obviously you guys know this. There's there's a balance to it. I mean, our bodies have a system where if we get too overwhelmed, we pass out. Mm-hmm. You know, and the body says, "That's all you can take." And I, and so I think that's that's why we have therapists. That's why we have clergy friends, um, who who sometimes we're the ones getting to say to folks, uh, "You know, can you?" Give yourself some space, and sometimes we're the ones who people look at us and say,
0: "Can you give yourself some space?" Because yeah. it's, it's hard. I mean, because the pain is—who likes pain? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's take this back to the person of Jesus Christ now, if we can, and think about how that divinity and humanity is also a balancing act in the body of Christ as well—the mm-hmm. the physical body of Christ—and how we understand Him. I wonder if that can inform us at all about how we can walk on this path. So I'll use
1: an assignment that I was given on day one of my, I think it was both Old and New Testament. No, it was just New Testament, 101 in undergrad. Mm -hmm. Um, It was actually my first ever theological writing assignment that was given, and that was to take that phrase that please, Jesus please used. Please tell me you saved a copy.
0: We would love to read it. Uh, mom, <laughs> honestly, even though I was in college, I think my mom put it on the refrigerator. It's oh. got to be somewhere. Yeah.
1: It was really short. i was like a write a paragraph about this. Anyway, so look at that phrase that, that everyone knows, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, uttered by Jesus on the cross. And then says Professor Philip A. Rolnick, read Psalm 22. Which starts the same way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Left me? Abandoned me? Whatever. And, however, the psalmist then goes on this description of this spiritual journey and, and shift in understanding and comes to the conclusion that God has not in fact left. That there is hope on the horizon even though it feels like God has left. And I use that this and, and that did shape, reshape my understanding of why Jesus may have chosen that phrase word for word from the psalm which, with which Jesus was probably aware as a way of recalling the psalmist's hope so I'm here I need help God why have you, have you forsaken me It's kind of like you know, if there was some song that, that makes you happy that you might sing at a time when you felt unhappy Hmm. uh to, to bring about this 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 last gasp at hope hmm. and so that's getting to the answer to your question the human jesus needs a mechanism of hope whether it's to get off the cross i mean, and i doubt it because you don't get off a cross or if it's just to be able to get through this horrible situation in which he finds himself human jesus needs something. And so human Jesus, it seems, goes to the psalmist and draws hope hmm. from. You can either look at it at, as scripture or those who went before him in their spiritual journeys, or music, or music. And so human Jesus showed, and it sounds so weird for me to say this, the Jesus who has presented us as more human and less God. Has those same human needs to draw strength from somewhere. So even in his dying moments, hmm. there's so much we can learn from him about how to go through life when it gets tough. Hmm.
2: Yeah, and, and, and I appreciate, um, as you were asking that question and thinking, thinking about this, a couple things. I mean, I appreciate that Jesus never abandoned his faith tradition, his practices. You know, part of, part of what I've often thought is that. Jesus going to Jerusalem that last week wasn't because he thought, I've got to go die, God's telling me to go to Jerusalem to die. It's that he knew that if he didn't go observe the Passover in Jerusalem like he did since he was a kid, somehow his connection to God would just get shortened. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I have to because otherwise I'm giving in already and I'm letting go of the story. I'm letting go of the gathering of the people that have helped me to believe that God's still here even though my life's been threatened how many times already. Yeah. And I think for us as the body of Christ, uh, what I see is, it's it's the people who, you know, it's it's we're still gathering together and we're being with each other, whatever, whether we're collectively in that place or, or some members of ours, that, that the very tangible body is a reminder. We have these texts that we keep re- repeating, you know, why do we read these things in a cycle every three years? Because we need to keep hearing the stories that our ancestors left of us, as, as you said. Um, also, personally, um, I'm really a big you know the Hebrews talked about building tabernacles where they encountered God, and I'm sure you guys have some of this. I got so many trinkets from over the years of places. I mean, on my shelves at home, like a rock from some place, uh, some prayer beads. I have a cigarette lighter from a, van, a church van. I won't go into that story now, but it's like these little trinkets that you grabbed. Like God was here, yeah. And some days I just need to look at that shelf and go, okay. But, yeah, those are the things that, as you are
1: saying. Copper toilet on my uh, bookshelf. <laughs> See, there you go. It's That's, one of those.
2: It's a pencil sharpener. Yeah. I mean, the Israelites knew sometimes you better have a pile of rocks that remind you that God was here at one point. Yeah. And, and, and we have reason to believe. Let's keep practicing like Jesus.
0: That, that seems to me to be the, the, the place where, that you bring us to at the end of your sermon. And I, I like that you you invited us not to really jump too quickly to Easter Sunday. Uh, But to to take in this time of Lent an opportunity to just sit with the pain. And the good news in your sermon to me is that God sits in the pain with us. Yeah. Yeah. And to remember that. And to to remember moments when we know that that was true. And I know with or without a physical object to remind me that when I'm having a hard time, those are the moments that I remember that you were with me then. So I know that that you could be with me now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, because as you were saying that, I was thinking, I I remember having conversations with my organist at my prior church about we don't get to have filters uh, that keep out the pain and bring the joy, which is part of what I was saying, is to the degree we stay present with the pain, then when that new life comes, we've really (laughs) created a space for it. And we've made room for that to say, okay, and, and, and it doesn't, push away all that prior experience by any means or or it's still present reality for us but it's like by keeping ourselves open this is almost like uh, my new age friends keeping the chakras open if you will but by keeping our bodies hearts and souls open then when that new life is coming we're catching the new life too to mm-hmm. the same degree mm-hmm. and it has a chance to lodge in us because we've chosen not to shield ourselves and shut down
1: so a couple things the first thing is in Colorado there's a town called Chakra I just found that out <laughs> looking at a map yesterday <laughs> second um, parenting story. So, Gideon, our eight-year-old, was born, and I was going to be the best dad in the world. <laughs> I knew it. I bet. <laughs> uh, and it's not because I just thought I came naturally to it. It was because I was going to work really, really hard at it. And so I did my best. I thought I was a helicopter parent, and it turned out I'm a lawnmower parent. I will go before you, and I will knock over everything... <laughs> that you, that might hurt you. Mm. It's kind of mm. like like you were talking about to your or, organist and what I tried to do is I tried to filter out anything that would bring pain to him. Mm. And then we moved here in 2017 and in May, May 5th, our dog died. That guy right there. Mm. So our dog died and that is the first time that I realized I can't I mean, most mm. of this is going on subconsciously sure. mm-hmm. I can't shield him from pain and now I've done him a, him a disservice because this has happened mm. and we don't know how to deal with it and so we, we do ourselves a disservice when we try to live these Pollyannish lives where everything is roses and beautiful and happy mm. and when we try to convince ourselves and whatever you show to the outside world who cares but when we try to convince ourselves that things are wonderful and great. When they, That's not what life is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't help us to shield ourselves or anyone else, yeah. even children, no. from, from the, the tragic realities. Mm. Yeah. No. But it does, like you said, bring us hope to know
1: that even if there's no one else around, we're not alone. We don't have to be yeah. alone. We may feel abandoned, but should we realize it, there's a God who loves us and surrounds us in these moments. Well, I mean,
2: you know, all the, all the things we could say about Jesus going to the garden and, and did the disciples fall asleep or something, he still took them with him. It was like, I, st- I still need you all. I mean, and that was part of maybe his frustration, like, can't you please stay awake? I really need you. Yeah. But, but he, yeah, he didn't just go off and I'm Jesus and I'm going to face this. and I'm gonna, It's like, I'm scared. You know, it's kind of like Dr. King Uh, longevity has its place I'd like to live Mm -hmm. I I will do that and Jesus I think the same way I need these people around me
1: Um, well not only did he say that he also said if possible take this from me right yeah I don't don't think that um, again I don't think the human Jesus wanted
0: to go through this
1: no and he certainly didn't want to go through it by himself
0: and we don't spend enough time thinking about it thinking about you know the real struggle that the that the human Jesus went through and what that yeah. what that means. I need to correct my. Uh, it's not Athanasius that said this. Oh. It's uh, Saint Gregory of Nazianzus Nezian, Nezian. or of yeah yeah right next to Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> third, third century. Uh, one of the Cappadocians. Cappadocians. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the and boy, the, our listeners are fascinated right that's now. Right. You, can, you can go Google it. Good luck Google, on spelling Nazianzus. Yeah, the
2: Cappadocian fathers. Go check that out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what
0: what Christ did not assume, he did not redeem, yeah. and but uh, we don't need to make this show about that. I just wanted to correct myself. It wasn't Athanasius. So that that's a, guy, a good guy too. Good luck googling his name as well. <laughs> anyway, where do we go from there, Peter? Yeah, I, I feel like we've had a really a, a good interview, and I, I'm not sure that there's anything more.
2: To say, but well, I'd accept to say thank you to you guys for for going into this place and and you know yeah I, you know, folks don't know it wasn't like I signed up for my God my God why have you forsaken me we we filled out our names on the calendar and then we came with the phrases no and then the phrases came out and I'm like, okay good but, I get the at Illinois same Illinois time, one. the same time but yeah at the same time it was like okay is this real or not and 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 yeah. what you guys are doing is you're giving people space to go there because. W- even as we're talking, my body feels more relaxed because it's like freedom. And, and all the stuff we do to contort ourselves, to, to shield ourselves, I just think of like grotesque figures, you know, and we're mm-hmm. doing all this stuff to contort no pain. Uh, yet when we are present to the pain, and in a, a paradoxical, theological, I don't know how you want to say it, but it's like our bodies get to relax because we can look at each other and go, okay, let's be honest, this is how it feels. Yeah. And, and Jesus can look us in the face, and we can look Jesus in the face with integrity and say, mm-hmm. okay, we have no idea where this is going. Yeah. But we know we're here.
0: And and I don't know about either of you in, in, in experiences that you have, but if I if I could reflect again about uh, Emily's cancer experience, there was a a simplicity and a peace when we had finally come to terms with the fact that this is this is what it is. This is the diagnosis, this is what the treatment plan is. Our lives became completely simple. You know, it was a 2-week schedule and we just You know, rinse and repeat. Yeah. It was a terrible and painful and Mm -hmm. and difficult period of time. But in many ways, while she was going through chemotherapy, that was easier for us than the unknown time beforehand or afterwards, where instead of being present to pain, we had to be present to anxiety or fear. Mm -hmm. Those are much more difficult things to want to stay present to. Um, so I, I do think that there's a lot of uh, truth in, in, this, in, in this staying present to pain and also remembering that, that if we don't have a lot of pain to be present for in this current moment in our lives, then what we need to be doing is praising God for that and saying thank you, thank you because it won't be that way forever.
1: And offering ourselves to those who need someone to sit with them in their pain yeah. and be present yeah. with them.
2: There's a, uh, in one of our evening prayer services in the Episcopal Prayer Book, it, there's a prayer that says, Shield the joyous and comfort the afflicted. Mm. You know, and it it catches that shield the joyous. Like, if it's a good, man, let it, you know, yeah. When we're in that chapter, shield them for a while. You know, like, yeah, let that be true too. Enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. I think we've spoken a lot. I didn't think we were going to be going in this direction because I missed the sermon. Um, But I appreciate this conversation and being able to see the crucifixion in a new light and especially Uh, the words that Jesus uses on the cross in that new way. So thank you guys for talking. For Pastor Potluck, I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constancion. Joining us today has been Todd Donatelli, our good friend from across the street from this office. Thank you all very much, and have a wonderful whatever day you listen to this.
0: We'll see you next week.